Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Gray Zone live stream. I'm Anya Parampil here with Wyatt Reed of the Gray Zone. And behind the scenes, we have Max Blumenthal, who rushed over from his appearance at the State Department to help us with this stream. And we're going to be talking about the latest in Gaza, the war on Palestine, what clearly now we can see is a defined attempt by the Israeli government to cleanse the Gaza Strip of Palestinians and work closer to the goal of greater Israel, it would seem. And I want to bring in a friend of ours off the top, Wyatt. This is Shadi Abdul Rahman. He's usually a Gaza-based journalist, someone that Max and I spent time with when we briefly visited Gaza in February of 2018. He appeared on our stream two or three weeks ago, and you may recall, viewers may recall, that he was vacationing with his family in Turkey at the beginning of October when this war began. And so, Shadi, welcome to the program. Are you still stranded in Turkey? Yeah. Hi. Hi, Anya. Hi, White. Hi, everyone. Yeah, I'm still here, stuck in Turkey, and uh, I couldn't go back yet. And uh, I don't know when I'm going to go back. As you know, that all the crossings are closed because it is all either controlled by Israel or it has to uh, be ordered to be opened by Israel, like Rafa crossing apparently, which we thought that it is a Palestinian Egyptian uh, crossing, but apparently no one can cross without the permission of Israel, even from that crossing. So I would like to thank you for uh, having me. It's my pleasure and it's my pleasure to see you again, White. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. I'm here. It's our honor to have you. And I mean, I, I, as I told you preparing for this, I wish we were speaking about something happy. And I wish that my reunion with you were in Gaza. But as viewers may recall from the update a few weeks ago, your home was among the buildings immediately destroyed at the outset of, of this campaign, this latest bombing campaign Israel launched in the Gaza Strip. So if you could just begin by providing us an update with what you understand to be the latest on the ground, the situation in Gaza, the latest I saw today is that essentially, and judging from Netanyahu's speech just a few hours ago, the goal is to push all Palestinians to the south and into uh, the Sinai, into Egypt. <clears throat> what is your read of, of the current picture number one yeah it was my uh my wish to see you again and to meet again in a better situation uh you know what i got i have seen a couple of days ago a, a very sad picture of the gaza seaport where we uh, me and you uh, and as you remember max also we had that boat uh into the sea and we had a couple of pictures all the boats were destroyed completely they didn't leave a single boat which can be added to though everything which was destroyed in the past 
four weeks in Gaza. So I guess that nothing left to be happy about. Regarding the speech, yeah, that one. <laughs> so regarding the speech, come on, uh, you are showing my house now. So let me focus. Uh, I would like to start not only with today's Netanyahu speech. I would like to go a little bit back to all, if you look into all their statements, Yoav Gallant, Benjamin Netanyahu, and even the radical minister, the guy who uh, said that they can bomb Gaza with a nuclear bomb, uh, and he doesn't care about neither the Palestinians nor the uh, people who are the Israeli people who got captured in the 7th of October. Call them as you wish, uh, war prisoners, uh, hostages. Uh, I don't, uh, I'm not good in giving names. I'm not a politician over here. So <clears throat> if you look into the sequence and you look into the uh, US statements coming from either John Kirby, from Blinken, and even from the president himself, you will understand completely that they have a plan. That plan is to, they are, by the way, they are liars. When they are telling to the people that you have to move from north to the south, we are giving you a safe corridor. People have been telling horrible stories about seeing people dead on the road while trying to move from north to south. They just started showing pictures today of people raising white flags and walking. And by the way, they wanted to show that they are a mass number by stopping them for hours and then letting them go all together so that they could form like a kind of a big march that see thousands of people are moving while actually they are not. I spoke with so many people who are living in the north so many people who are in Gaza and I was saying why you guys are not moving to the south and they were saying no here and there is the same we are being bombed here they are being bombed there so there is no difference if you look into uh, I will not go far away I will just speak about today today there were heavy bombings in Rafah which is the farthest point in the south there was in Khan Yunus in Deir el Bala which is all what is being so-called by Bibi Netanyahu and all his criminal assistants that these are the safe areas while he is still bombing those areas. So the situation is so bad. I'm trying to hardly, like since yesterday, to contact my mom to check on her if she is okay or not. And I was unable to get through. And, you know, we spent hours watching TV and today just by luck uh, I could recognize because you know what with the heavy bombings you cannot even recognize the neighborhood you cannot recognize where is this location yeah they say it is in Khan Yunus but you can't see where exactly because everything has changed even the picture you showed for my house I didn't recognize it in the beginning until I looked into different pictures and then I could recognize that, yes, this was the building where I have been living in for 10 years. So this is the situation today. 
something happened is that I was watching Al Jazeera and I saw something which looks like familiar for me when I discovered that they bombed the house which is next to my friend's house. And I tried to call him so many times and finally I could call him for like one or two minutes by the phone. The phones are not connecting. And he told me, yes, I'm fine. My house is destroyed, but I don't know. We were out safe only with a few injuries. You know, few injuries for a Gazan person is a good luck. I just went out with a, I'm, I mean, I just got few injuries, nothing else. I didn't got killed. This is a genocide. This is cleansing of the Palestinians. They are pushing the Palestinians to go to the south and they will keep on pushing them first the first phase of this plan is to control northern gaza and gaza then they will move to the middle of gaza they will ask the middle of gaza citizens to move to the south they will control the um, the middle then they will go to the south and cleanse everyone and the people will be having either two options you stay and then we will consider you a terrorist and we will kill you or you go to Egypt and they will push they are they will put CC regime into the corner that thousands of people are on the borders and they want to cross either they will get killed here or they can just move to the safe haven on the other side as they consider and then they will what the winter is coming they are planning to make a new Syrian refugees crisis by bringing some tents. You know, I was discussing with my wife about our return. And in case if we, if the, I told her, listen, if the war stops now, I'm saying now, I'm not talking about tomorrow or after one month. Do you think that we will find a place to stay after half of the houses of Gaza were destroyed? There is... A big crisis which was caused and it was already uh, planned and I'm sure that the, the plan which they are doing right now it is not made yesterday or one week ago or three weeks ago no the plan was there the plan is there already long time ago but it was just waiting for the time to be applied and I guess that they found it, that this is the right time, that, yeah, we are fighting terrorism and we have to start doing this and that. So we people should start moving and keep on pushing on them, pushing on them. Can you imagine that 2 million, more than 2 million people are suffering to find a bottle of water? And some of the Israeli TikTokers are doing videos teasing the Palestinians that they, we have a lot of water, we have electricity, we have everything. Let me tell these tactics from my side, don't worry, your message didn't come because there is no internet, there is no electricity, nobody in Gaza saw you. Be happy about that. So this is the general situation, in my opinion. And... and just talking to your friends and family specifically that you're referencing who are staying in the north Netanyahu today during his speech he basically said keep moving south we want you to keep moving south don't stop 
you're already doing it and we're not letting any fuel in until all of our hostages are released but it, it seems that he's moved the 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 or the israeli state has moved the the goal from securing the hostages if that ever was their goal to just completely cleaning out gaza and seizing this opportunity as you said but when you mm. just go ahead no go ahead mm -hmm. I, I no 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 he they sh they showed that video today of the big march with the white flags intentionally so that netanyahu can come in and say that statement. I wondered about that because I noticed that it was mainly getting traction now in Hebrew media or on Israeli Twitter accounts. So you see that this, for Palestinians, how do they view this image as compared to the Israelis? If you look into the number, see, they are just showing a couple of seconds for those people who they could gather for hours they were these people were waiting for hours to cross and even when they are saying a safe corridor do you know how long distance they have to move by walking and they are not allowed to take anything with them and when i say anything i literally mean anything they are supposed to start walking from the first point the first uh round circle in the south of Gaza on the Saladin uh, road and they have to keep on moving by walking to the entrance of Al Burij which is so long distance these people are including children elder uh, elderly people uh, women uh, sick people and they kept them for hours standing and they are not allowed to sit you are you are and the, you know they were talking about the humiliation they have seen by the israeli army and this is how is the israeli army called themselves that they are the most humanity uh, caring army in the world they consider that they are i guess that uh, that class which they teach the Israeli army how to deal with the civilians have been maybe taught by a Nazi guy or maybe by someone who is a, an expert war criminal. This is my opinion because there is nothing in that is following the international law or Geneva Convention or anything. And you know, when I'm thinking about that, if the army who was who is committing that is not israeli army if it is any army in the world it will be directly we will see a statement by the white house or by the state of department uh, uh sorry by the uh, department of the foreign uh, affairs of united states talking about how ugly is that and how they are concerned and blah 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 and all these dumb things we are hearing from them all the time uh, i can you know what i watched that uh, uh, the difference when john kirby was talking about ukrainians and gazans he was so touched he was about to cry I, you know i believed him believe me i believed him at that time 
But when he is talking about Gaza, they have only one statement to speak about. Israel has the, the right to defend itself. Israel has the full right to defend itself. My dear, there is there are war crimes going on. We are uh, we heard about that, but I guess that the sound was not very clear, so we didn't hear well. So uh, I believe that uh, uh, yeah, maybe there are some more crimes happening, but I, I'm not sure. Uh, it, it is happening, I think, by Hamas, not by uh, Israeli army. And for uh, the funny thing. When we, they were asked about the people who are dead in the roads, Israeli army was saying that they were shot by Hamas because they didn't allow them to go from north to south. How pathetic is their story? Mm -hmm. Yesterday, they are showing uh, uh, the dogs. For, uh, they say that our dogs are following the dogs of Hamas. They are calling the Hamas fighters dogs. Okay, I'm not defending uh, the Hamas fighters here. And I'm not representing them, but he was showing a video of training, and he was saying that this is actually what is happening. There's, I, I don't know who is running the media in Israel. Uh, what kind of uh, pathetic, uh, cheap, uh, illiterate people who are running those hubs to use such kind of material? And then if you just Google it, you will find it on YouTube, have been shown like a couple of years ago. Uh, so I don't know. This is exactly, they are very good in telling lies, but the problem is that they start forgetting what they said before. So the lies and lies and lies and lies. And in the end of the day, all these lies are going to just explode in their faces because you cannot keep on hiding these lies for long. Well, uh, it works for it works for Israelis. They are susceptible to this propaganda, but it seems increasingly like the foreign audiences are not buying this so much. Uh, I, I mean, you're right, right? It's just this constant stream of just kind of lies that you can't help but notice if you aren't part of the problem yourself, right? Um, and so that, that those scenes we were watching, obviously from the so-called humanitarian corridor that the IDF's Arab speaking spokesman tweeted out early this morning. They said there was a four hour period in which uh, people in Gaza would be able to flee uh, without being shot out, I suppose. And so mm -hmm. those were the images they wanted to post to show that, I, I guess this is, in my assumption, this is them attempting to probably realizing how this is going for them internationally, that people are increasingly alarmed by what the Israelis are doing. And uh, obviously we have Blinken kind of gently prodding them, hey, maybe you guys should consider a humanitarian pause at some point, if you don't mind, please. But if not, this don't is a, worry. Why? This is a new term. What is a humanitarian pause? I have never heard about that in any, in anywhere. I've heard- What is a humanitarian pause? And, uh, baby today is talking about one hour here and one hour there. What is one hour? Uh, should we start running our stopwatches? Hey, guys, uh, humanitarian pause. We are not playing football here uh, and having like a 15 minutes between the two uh, halves. Uh, are they, I don't know, uh, are they serious? It's how they get around with uh, language of, call, of calling for a ceasefire, which would right, just be a right. direct end to hostilities. I hear it at the UN. I hear it from the American government. 
this humanitarian pause, I had the same thought. What is that? Why not just a ceasefire to the war? Where does the humanitarian pause go except that you eventually press play again? I don't I will tell you when I will tell you when the ceasefire is going to happen. Okay. I believe according to the news and the videos I'm watching, you know what? Until now, Hamas proved from the very beginning that they are the one who have been telling the truth about uh, what's going on on ground more than Israeli media. Israel is saying until now that their uh, casualties are around 32 uh, soldiers got killed since the beginning of the ground operation. And they kept on telling about the injuries until the number of 260 and then they stopped telling about the injuries. And I'm sure, I'm 100% sure that the casualties are much, much bigger than what they are telling. But because they have already enough number of uh, people who are criticizing uh, Israeli government and Bibi Netanyahu for their great failure, and I call it the scandal. This is what I call it everywhere that what happened on 7th of October is a scandal. So for that scandal, they are not ready for a new scandal right now. So they cannot tell the actual, the truth about what's going on. And you know, the funny part of this, while there is nothing is funny, is that all, most of the arms which are used by Hamas are Hamas made, which is destroying Merkava, uh, Tiger, uh, armored vehicle, uh, and all this, what have been, you know, we, we were hearing like uh, stories about these kind of uh, arms. The Israelis and are not suddenly, only the most moral, they're the most high-tech army in the world, supposedly. No, I know something. I know that uh, in 7th of, on 7th of October, uh, a bunch of militants, uh, with uh, Chinese-made motorcycles, they could destroy uh, the whole Gaza brigade completely in six hours. And they were only armed with Kalashnikov, AK-47, and few uh, grenades, and few RPGs. That's it. And this is the brigade which was supposed to be the one who is specialized in fighting Gaza. Can you imagine that? They were destroyed in, in how many hours? In six hours. So don't tell me uh, they, they are, this is the scandal. And when they are using, you know, people are telling about that when the bombardment is happening, like he is in Gaza, and bombardment is in Jabalia, and people in Gaza, their houses are shaking. So can you imagine what kind of bombs they were using in Tora Bora, I guess, the Americans? And now they're using it in Gaza. Well, in Gaza, there are no mountains. So I don't know the, the thing that this is. And I have to tell you, it is still not affecting the tunnels of Hamas. Because they are still coming out of the tunnels, attacking them and leaving and you know what is the proof that they are leaving we can see the videos if they didn't leave if they got killed there 
how did you see the videos they are showing? Right. I want to ask, I want to see if my understanding of how this war has played out fits with your your interpretation to lead into a question about the broader region and kind of your reaction to especially what Hassan Nasrallah of Hezbollah had to say last week. It seems that after October 7th, everyone, including the international pro-Israel media and Israeli civilians and many observers were expecting a quick and effective Israeli ground invasion. That's what they were talking about. They said, oh, Israel has the power to do the battle of Entebbe or the raid of Entebbe style to get in there, take out the hostages, decapitate Hamas. But then the ground invasion was delayed and delayed and delayed. And from my perspective, from what I saw, it seemed as if the Israelis were trying to advance with the ground invasion for weeks and weeks and weeks and having to retreat. And so what they did for a week, two weeks, was basically just flatten everything with their air force to push people out, force people to go to the level that they could. And last week, I know many people were expecting or hoping that Hezbollah was going to come out with a more extreme announcement and say that they were going to intervene and, and officially declare war on, on Israel. But what Nasrallah actually said was essentially throughout this entire, we've been at war with Israel since October 8th, fighting them in the north in order to deplete their capacity and their resources and, and also delay what was supposed to be this ground invasion that was going to come in there and devastate Gaza quickly. Were you surprised by Nasrallah's speech on Friday? What were you expecting him compared to what him to say compared to what you got? And is my read of the war and how it's played out accurate? Or do you have another perspective? I will tell you something regarding Hassan Nasrallah. I didn't expect much from Hezbollah and Lebanon due to that there is a big economic crisis going on in Lebanon. Everyone knows that and everyone knows that uh, Hezbollah going in the war is not something small. In that case, Americans will interfere directly. When I say directly, I mean that the American Marines will interfere in that. And then in that case, Hezbollah will not be fighting Israel alone and just interject but, i feel like it's impo important to note here that hezbollah is not a state actor they're not the lebanese government so once they get involved and draw the lebanese civilian and state and it becomes a different picture right exactly and already hezbollah is a key player in the lebanese politics you need to know that hezbollah is one of the we can say it is the strongest party in Lebanon, all people who support Hezbollah, whatever Nasrallah says, they say yes, because he is their cleric, he is their leader. It is different than the other parties in Lebanon. So that's why Hezbollah also has the responsibility, because if you, as far as I remember, uh, after the 2006 war, Nasrallah said, if I knew that this would be the result, we wouldn't have captured the two Israeli soldiers. So he is into an equation that he has to support Hamas because already Hamas supported them in 2006, by the way. Okay. So he, he, uh, he wants to support Hamas, but he can't go all the way till the end to support Hamas 
by uh, starting firing his Katyusha and all his uh, uh, missiles, which he uh, either it is uh, Iranian technology or it was made by Iran or whatever. I, I, I'm not well aware about that, but what I know is they are trying, as he said, to to release the pressure by making uh, because if you look, Israel has a reserve of 360 thousands of soldiers who were called or recalled for service, but actually who were sent to Gaza are around 200 thousands. And can you imagine 200 thousands, which means one soldier for every 10 persons in Gaza? Okay. And the rest are there in the north waiting in case if anything happens. So my belief is that it was I wasn't expecting much from Hassan Nasrallah. And one more thing, why do I have to wait for Hassan Nasrullah's speech to declare the war? If he wanted to declare a war, he, he should start just firing his missiles, and that's it. Uh, I mean, this is just a declare of war. I suppose, as you say, I mean, Hezbollah is obviously already involved in skirmishes. Israel targeted, killed Lebanese civilians in the past week. The war, and this is what Nasrallah, I think, was trying to emphasize, is already on. It's a question of, as you say, escalating to bring it to the level of air power and the capacity that Hezbollah really does have to do serious damage. I mean, if Hezbollah wanted to in the next hour seriously debilitate Israeli military capacity, they could snap their fingers and do it. The question is then, then it becomes a regional war. Now you can't just deal exactly. with Lebanon and Hezbollah. Now Iran is on the spot. Even Russia is on the spot. China's on the spot, right? Russians, by the way, are the most one who is benefiting from all what is happening. I have to tell you that because they are showing all the time how hypocrite are the Americans, uh, their uh, hypocrisy and their uh, how they are telling lies uh, from one side. They are supporting Ukraine for their war against the invaders. And in the same time, they are supporting Israel, the invaders. So this is, and one more thing is, uh, Russia now, I believe that because of the support of uh, Israel by the ammunition and arms, the support of Ukraine will reduce. So exactly. this is in the favor of, uh, of Russia. This is my belief it, that it's, it's not just all a what's PR happening. victory, right? Mm -hmm. It's not just a PR victory. It's actually a, a a strategic tactical victory in the sense that Ukraine and Israel are drawing from the same pool of arms. They're drawing from the same resource pool. They are ultimately limited. Israel is now diverting L Ukrainian arms, you know, Ukrainian arms. Limited supply. pool. Exactly. Yeah, but it um, is a limited pool. And you can see even there was this kind of infamous interview that uh, Zelensky did last week where he gave, it was a very brutal interview that Time magazine published. I'm obviously very close with the CIA, the Central Intelligence Agency, Henry Luce, uh, a, a very, the founder of a very important CIA asset for many years. Uh, but this kind of symbolized to me, I think, the West turning on Zelensky. Uh, Zelensky actually, uh, one of, uh, someone very close to him published this article on Twitter, uh, not realizing how critical it was, and then subsequently deleted it. I think they were informed. It turns out not every article that's written about you in English is good. Uh, you know, lo and behold, I think we finally hit that point. Nobody believes in our victory like I do. Nobody. 
So they kind of paint him as this out of control sort of tyrant who's out of touch totally with the reality. He's deluding himself. He thinks total victory is possible, very much like Hitler, you know, in at the end of the war in 1944, 1945, when he's just kind of in the bunker and anybody telling him reality, uh, you know, is kicked out and seen as an enemy. Right. Yeah. And so that's kind of that's now how Zelensky is starting to be portrayed a little bit more in the mainstream media. Um, but I, I don't think it's, you know, a coincidence that Israel is now displacing the Ukrainian cause in the American media landscape, because fundamentally they are very similar entities. Neither one could exist without the United States at the end of the day. Um, they They were. I mean, Zelensky himself made this comparison early on when he described his vision for Ukraine. He said, we want to be like a big Israel. Uh, those were his words talking about what he wanted the future of his country to be. Um, and now, I mean, you have an internal situation, which is pretty similar as well. You have basically a dictatorship. Uh, you can't go out and you can't protest and say, you know, I don't support this war. Uh, Israelis can't go out. Israelis who who want to see a ceasefire happen are basically treated but, uh, as traitors anyone supports anyone supports ceasefire he is liable to uh you know they just in the Knesset they just made a new law that you can they can take out your citizenship or maybe you can be in, in jail for one year just for criticizing the invasion can you imagine that and this it's is the, the most thing. the most democratic state in the middle east so-called and that's why we have to intervene that's why we, to protect democracy right that's the rationale that we are given oh we have to protect the only democracy in the middle east we have to protect <laughs> democratic ukraine that's why we have to go and funnel hundreds of billions of dollars of weapons to these ideological fanatics who make openly genocidal declarations every day a democratic state who has a minister who wants to bomb the palestinians with a nuclear bomb can you imagine what kind of government is it what did i mean yeah. that, that was really interesting to see how that that statement from from the minister about the nuclear bomb if you can pull it up max played out in the united states because you have people that are full-throated supporters of israel the biggest zionists on the hill for example richie torres a member of the house of representatives from new york they go out and defend Israel for anything, even they're defending all the images of dead children we see every day. And then this Israeli minister makes this statement about the nuclear weapon and they're denouncing him. And they are even within the Israeli government, they suspend him. And they say, oh, this goes too far. But I mean, from my perspective, those people are at least more honest. And it's very similar, I think, to the way that well, now that Zelensky has been or could be scapegoated as the U.S. moves away from Ukraine, Shadi, do you think that, and I see this at least in the West, an attempt to scapegoat Netanyahu specifically as the cause of this, that he's behind this war, that he's behind the security failure, that he is this uh, unique Israeli dictator who has made the Israeli state authoritarian and evil, and then they will get rid of him at some point. Will they be able to do that? And is that the goal? Okay, listen, I will tell you. Once you stay in power for a long time, even in a democratic way, you start believing that you are the one. 
you are the man who knows everything and who who knows uh, what is the best for your people this is the exactly how you define the dictatorship so baby netanyahu have been in power for how long i mean i remember like since more than 25 years ago i guess he has been in power only there were some pauses in the middle otherwise he was all no more than 20 i, I remember in 1996 he was a prime minister when yeah uh, yeah yeah when when they opened that tunnel under uh Mosque, i remember and uh, there uh, there was uh, some clashes happened in gaza strip i was in uh, in school at that time yeah i, I remember that I think even Bill yeah. Clinton had a meeting with Netanyahu that resulted uh, in him saying, "Yeah, because be, the president of no, the United States, me or you?" Yeah, can can you imagine that Bill Clinton and see how many presidents came after Bill Clinton? 9/11 uh, happened. Uh, Saddam Hussein gone. Mubarak gone. Everyone gone, and Baby Netanyahu is still there. So can you imagine what kind of uh, a state they call themselves democrats everyone knows that living in corruption and they are uh, you know he is under trial for uh, for be having bribes for different stuff for the german uh, uh, submarines deal so baby netanyahu is he knows that if he goes out of power he will be living in jail that's why he is trying all the time to postpone that have you ever seen a prime minister who is making a law in his parliament to stop putting him into a trial after he goes into uh, uh, out of power that's why Netanyahu, if you look into the graph of his radicalism, you will find that he has been increasing in his radicalism all the time because he has to fulfill the agreements he is making with these radical parties who are participating into his government to keep him as a prime minister. Well, uh, that's a question yeah. that I have actually, and just for a trip down memory lane, when Max and I were with you in Gaza in 2018, when we came to the studio for a live hit, it was because that was the day Netanyahu was officially indicted on corruption charges, if I remember mm -hmm. correctly. So we, we were covering that together. And then Max mm -hmm. and I did this documentary, Prime or Crime Minister. But mm -hmm. uh, if Netanyahu, and, and he since, was taken out of government and even came back in the midst of this corruption trial. So that suggests he has a base. From your perspective, if they do take Netanyahu out, you mentioned the radicals in his administration, who would actually come in to replace him? No, they are not replacing him. The thing is that uh, when you are talking so with would? any Israeli, who would? No, exactly. Yeah, when you are talking Bennett, with any Israeli, and uh, I mean, uh, uh, this is uh, uh, the question is like in the past, when you were uh, saying that there were some of the uh, historical leaders, Isaac Rabin, uh, uh, Perez, and then Netanyahu, Sharon, all these people, they have a history 
of uh, of course it is full of crimes but anyway uh, they consider it that a history of making uh, israel as the uh, great state blah 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 okay so they have a his some some background which supports them to come into the scene and become leaders but look into all the people around now who can replace netanyahu this was the problem that all of them are puppets and all of them are unable to fill in the place that's why people usually when they don't find a good option they always say that let's go for the one we already tried before that's why they uh, netanyahu but if you look into the numbers Likud was sorry they're puppets of what how they are just i mean they people are not believing in them they don't believe that they are real leaders that's why i'm saying that they are like puppets they can be played by anyone uh, so when uh, baby was all the time look at the numbers in the Knesset. he was every time getting less than the previous time so every time has to bring in more parties and every party wants to join the government they have to put their own terms so we reached to the point when he couldn't find anyone to be ally with him other than Bengavir, Smotrich, mm -hmm. and this nuclear bomb guy. I don't know what, right. you know, even we don't know what, what ministry he is holding, but he is a minister anyway uh, in the government. And he has a vote. And he, uh, uh, we know that uh, people in Israel were angry as exactly as we are because they care for uh, there are people who are captured in Gaza, and this guy, he was saying that uh, they, their lives are not more precious than the lives of our soldiers. This is between yeah. brackets what he said. Well, it seems like, yeah, that Netanyahu is basically the only people capable of influencing him are those, these extremist settlers, people like Smotrich. We saw today in Netanyahu's address uh, he basically threatened Gazans with indefinite military occupation. He said, I think Israel will, for an indefinite period, will have the overall security responsibility for Gaza <laughs> because we've seen what happens when we don't have it. When we don't have that security <laughs> responsibility, what we have is the mm -hmm. eruption of Hamas terror on a scale mm -hmm. that we couldn't imagine. He's echoing comments that uh, Bezalel Smotrich, the finance minister, already made over the weekend. He said there will be operational control by the IDF for years. He said, it's not like we're going to de destroy Hamas and another body will come along. So they're basically saying it now openly. Uh, the IDF is going to militarily occupy Gaza. That is their plan for the indefinite foreseeable future. Uh, they, I mean, at, at this they, sorry, no, 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 I, I, no, no, they are, they are, no, 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 uh, no, White, I'm sorry. This is not the plan. Uh, he doesn't want Gaza to be under his control. I, I am 100% sure about that. He wants to destroy Gaza, mm -hmm. pull people out, and take it as they are talking about that we want our settlements to be back there again. So maybe he wants to cut one more piece of Gaza and take it completely without people. Occupy means that there are still people there. But according to what I'm seeing right. from the genocide and the clearing, he wants to capture it 
and do like what he did with Golan and with the major settlements to announce it as a new part of the state of Israel. And this is the punishment to the Gazans and to Hamas and to Palestinians for thinking once that they can fight against Israel in the past 75 years. We both, I mean, both sides, Palestinians and Israelis, every, every time we are learning new lessons. So he wants to teach us a new lesson that the next time you think about doing anything against Israel, I will take one more piece of your land, which he is already taking in the West Bank, by the way, every day. This is uh, brings us to a difficult question, which is is about brings us back to October 7th, really. And I, I'm curious to get your perspective on this, because I know I understand that on October 7th, many people around the world, but especially in Gaza, viewed the actions of the Al-Qassam brigades and the Palestinian militias as very heroic, as finally punching back against the Israeli occupier and were blown away really even just on a, on a military level, the, the extent to which the Palestinian forces were able to resist. Uh, but I would imagine they, like myself, even I thought I couldn't be shocked, am shocked by the Israeli response, am shocked by the failure of the international community to even issue a symbolic denunciation of what is very clearly, a, as you say, a cleansing campaign, a Holocaust playing out before our eyes. Do you think that Palestinians in general, whether in Hamas leadership to the average civilian, do you think that they ever expected this level of bloodshed and slaughter in response to something like we saw on October 7th? And do you think the Hamas leadership failed to even uh, or, or imagine that this was possible? I will tell you two things. Number one, I'm sure that Hamas guys themselves didn't expect that the Israeli army is so weak and they are so unprofessional and that the response will be so late like that. I believe, and this is, I'm not, uh, this is not information. It is just my own opinion that Hamas guys went for, it is like when you go to the super uh, to for shopping planning to buy something for a hundred dollar and then you find so, you come back buying something for a thousand dollar and it happens with uh, all women <laughs> i'm sorry for that but <laughs> according to my experience okay no comment. this is the same thing <laughs> yeah so i believe that hamas guys went for some certain type of operation and they were planning to bring back like a couple of soldiers to because in in the recent uh, few months they were uh, talking with the israelis about uh, uh, like a deal of swap so maybe this was going to make their uh, situation in the swap much more better but actually they found the way open and they just were entering very easily and they found tens of soldiers and 
tens of Israelis who are willing to come in with them to Gaza. Right. And this and started... It was buy one, get one free <laughs> at the kibbutz aisle. Yeah. No, I guess, no, it was buy one and get 10 for free. It is, it is not like... <laughs> it, is, it was like a Black Friday, I guess. <laughs> so, <laughs> seriously, uh, you know, it was on Saturday, but it was uh, uh, like the Black Friday. You just go and uh, take everything in the supermarket and come back for uh, this, uh, the same price of one piece. So even so they were surprised. Is, they were surprised. Yeah, exactly. The they were, were they were surprised. Mm -hmm. I, this is my belief that they were surprised about how easy it was. It was like a piece of cake. They were just entering, taking out uh, uh, soldiers and uh, hey, jumping. They didn't even fight. I, I to be honest, I, I don't know where these guys were getting their own tra uh, their training, but. Uh, I heard uh, a statement from uh, an ex-American uh, uh, military, military person who was telling about that uh, Israeli army uh, in the past 10-15 uh, uh, years, they were only playing like a cowboy in the West Bank, running behind children who are throwing stones and committing crimes, shooting children and uh, women uh, around with no any punishment. And they thought that this is the same case in Gaza. They can just stand there and they have a kind of, uh, a kind of uh, immunity, uh, knows they are the untouchables, nobody can do anything for them. And then suddenly they came to the reality that there is, hey guys, there is a kind of fight going on. This is number one of your question. Uh, so that's why I don't think that uh, that Hamas guys were expecting such kind of huge response. But my belief is that they were also prepared for a long fight because I think that they they have in their plans that one day there will be a long fight and I, I according to my experience hamas guys they knew that all their ceasefire before was just temporary it was just for some periods but one day the big fight is going to come and one more thing is and this i heard from uh, not Hamas guys, but it was like talks going on in Gaza before I leave, like three, four months ago. People were talking about that we expect the next summer will be there will be a big war in Gaza. And this is something which was already people are talking about it. And they were not talking about that we are the one who is going to start the war. They were expecting that Netanyahu is in a big crisis. And this is the talks which was going on between the people because we got used to what is uh, uh, the drama. Uh, uh, Netanyahu is in a crisis. He has to run away. How to run away? Start war in Gaza and start bombing. And then, hey, uh, Israelis, we have to stay united. So this is the same case. So I believe that uh, according to what I have been hearing from the people around, that the war was coming anyway. And uh they were going to destroy hamas or give them because uh, they had a, the, this kind of policy that they want all the time hamas should not cross a certain level once they cross that level 
they have to strike them and bring them back and this is what have been happening in the past few years so they were surprised with what actually the level has come up to and I'm that's sure why i believe hamas hamas uh, there is an Arab quotation. It says that I had you for lunch before you take me for dinner. Okay. Have you ever heard that uh, quotation? No, that's the kind of thing that you only hear from. Like the Arabs only come up with that poetry. No, yeah, it says that I I had you for lunch before you had me for dinner. So I ate you before you eat me. This was like the kind of uh, Hamas act because they knew that they are going to attack them at any moment. Yeah, and, and, and it's the ahead. same principle that I think Putin had in mind with Ukraine, right? It's the same idea that long term, this is an inevitable conflict. So we may as well have engage with it more on our terms than the alternative, because we know at the end of the day, the long term vision of our adversary is to take this land, take out the people on it and ethnically cleanse it and return it to their you know control economically and um i i, I want to pause on that the ukraine israel comparison because i know max was able to question uh Vedant patel and I, I think max is behind the scenes here um, yo 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 hey hey so i, I wanted yeah. to wanted to bring you on and and just discuss Hi, this video so man, I'll, I'll, let you take it, I'll let you take it away max Oh, well, yeah. Uh, Shadi, you'll enjoy this a lot just because you were talking a lot about the um, hypocrisy that reigns in Washington that's been exposed. I think many people in the Middle East might not have been following the Ukraine proxy war as closely as we were, but you know, you just hear these, you, you would see these tearful performances before all of this slaughter happened in Gaza, but we remembered all the past slaughters that had taken place there 2014, for example. So it already felt totally hypocritical. Um, but I, I was able to get into the State Department briefing today, uh, get a, not only one follow-up question in, but three follow-up questions. So wow. I got to flesh this out. So let's let's uh, take a watch. Okay. This is um, me and Vedant Patel, who is the State Department spokesman. And in March 2021, Secretary Blinken accused China of the crime of genocide for its alleged treatment of the Uyghur minority, but he didn't accuse them of killing on any mass scale or force forcible transfer. Now we see with Israel's military assault on Gaza, something like one out of two, every 200 people in the Gaza Strip has been eliminated. Over 4,000 children killed, the Ministry of Intelligence, as Sam pointed out, in Israel has published a blueprint for the forced transfer of the entire Palestinian population to Egypt. We have the intent to commit genocide expressed at the highest level of the Israeli government, including Netanyahu himself referring to the Palestinian population as Amalek, the biblical Amalek. So I wonder, you know, when, you, when you're accusing one country of genocide without accusing them of mass killing, and then blocking ceasefires to enable another country's military assault. What metric are you using to determine genocide, or is this just political rhetoric? It's certainly not political rhetoric. Uh, the department, and I talked a little bit about this yesterday, we have a rigorous process uh, in place for evaluating whether something constitutes as genocide or not. And that is true in any country that uh, that situation might be being looked at. Uh, that is not a term that we have assessed pertains to this current conflict. 
We are, of course, monitoring the evolving situation and are examining facts as they develop. Uh, this continues to be um, uh, an incredibly uh, challenging uh, and, and fraught situation, but it's also important to remember that Hamas bears responsibility for sparking this war. Uh, they have brought this tragic war uh, to Gaza. Okay, well, President Biden has accused the Russian government of genocide for its actions in Ukraine, where in two years, it has killed as many civilians as Israel has killed in one month in the Gaza Strip. So how do you account for that disparity where you're assisting one country and accusing the other of genocide when one the country you're assisting has systematically killed so many more people in one month? Those circumstances are totally and completely uh, not the same. And <laughs> incredibly inappropriate. You said you're inappropriate. Have been, uh, we uh, have. By the way, I had asked, I wanted, I tried to say, how so? How is it inappropriate? Right. Please don't interrupt. Please my brother, out. my brother responded to that clip saying, I wanted to slap him when he said that's entirely inappropriate. I think that's probably how everyone felt. Well, uh, I, I, I really res uh, respect Vedant Patel for calling on me and I don't uh, wish any harm to him at all. And uh, I actually tried to go up and shake his hand and introduce myself after because, you know, if you're willing to uh, hear me, then I respect you. Anyway, uh, Max, it, it you just committed a genocide with this guy. <laughs> well, it, it was definitely an anti-Semitic hate crime. It's almost it's almost as much as a genocide that's occurring on the University of Pennsylvania's campus right now. <laughs> okay, well, let's go because I because I take it to another level here. Yeah, raised directly with. Uh, the Is it not finished yet? No. no. To uh, distinguish between Hamas terrorists and uh, Palestinian civilians. Uh, this is something that the secretary has raised directly on his travels. He, uh, we even laid out that we believe that there are um, commitments that can be made additionally on dealing with protecting civilian life more effectively. Uh, and we're watching very closely to, to, to make sure that happens. Referring to Palestinian civilians as human shields, doesn't that blur the distinction but between civilians and militants? I, I am not. We have not referred to Palestinian civilians as human shields. We have said. We have said. We have said. We have said that Hamas is using Palestinian civilians as human shields. <laughs> That's that what he not, said. That is not hyperbole. <laughs> that is something that we have seen Hamas do as they continue to. Uh, integrate themselves into key civilian infrastructure across Gaza. Wouldn't that be blurring the distinction between civilians and combatants? If you say Hamas is using civilians as human shields, wouldn't that be in some ways justifying the killing of civilians because they happen to be yeah. in the we way are not in justifying, their homes? We are, there is no one in this administration that is justifying um, killing of civilians. Any civilian life loss uh, is incredibly troubling, heartbreaking to us. Any number above zero is deeply troubling to us. What we are doing is we are working with our Israeli partners. I mean, to I mean, he seems so heartbroken right now. Right. The impact on civilian life. Well, and, and he, here's he, and here's some more bombs. Yeah. But, uh, well, you yeah. can tell from the rhetoric. He doesn't say it's unacceptable. He just says it's, troubling. <laughs> you know, I am troubled. But it's like, you know, the temperature, outside, the weather today is a little troubling to me. I had, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, and the, the problem with the Americans making these statements is that they act as if they're not the ones with leverage. Right. Uh, I, we're supposed to be the ones with leverage. We give them all the money and weapons. Anya, we put conditions. Anya, I have to, I can tell you that if United States would like to stop this war 
tomorrow they can do it right now. I yes, I exactly. That's it. Yeah, that was the headline in the no. Washington Post that uh, unfortunately the Biden administration doesn't have any leverage. It, it actually said that they're like we we can't do anything uh, because of the yeah. political dynamics that have been well because of our Secretary of State. I mean, he essentially went there and said that he is on the side of Israel as a Jew, not as the Secretary of State of the United States. So I mean, that's yeah. really helpful. And then they come and say that Hamas is launching a religious war against Jews. Yeah. But when he's going there, he says that I'm coming here as a Jew, not as a, a, a foreign minister. Right. And and th there's been so much uh, this time around news about the attacks on Christian sites in Gaza as well. People seeing that this isn't just only about Muslims, but Christians as well. Anyone who's not part of the Jewish state is not not included. But but Netanyahu just wrapped, or I'm sorry, Blinken just wrapped a little tour of, of the Middle East. I believe it was his fourth trip since this all began. Not well received even in Israel, I don't think, and uh, neither in Turkey nor any of the Arab states in between. How is the U.S. Erdogan, how, how are they regarding? Erdogan, Erdogan sent him the vice mayor of yeah. Ankara. Can you yeah. imagine that? The, even not the mayor, the vice mayor of Ankara. Well, and Netanyahu also refused to do a press conference with him. And, uh, you know, before I go backstage, I mean, just to, to tell you the atmosphere at the State Department, every single question was hammering the spokesman about civilian casualties, about the lack of aid going in. You could see he was he was a little bit shaken. Um, after like well after i had had my exchange with him uh the press is completely turned on the state department they're frustrated you can even see cnn is with the exception of jake tapper and we'll talk about that but you can <laughs> feel it in the state department briefing room um and the dissent cable was brought up many times that there are many <clears throat> state department staffers who have issued a dissent a formal dissent against tony blinken and his policy so he's getting rejected by erdogan He's getting rejected by his own staff or rebuked by his own staff. And Netanyahu won't meet with him because he made some mealy mouth call for a humanitarian pause. So well, the humanitarian pause that he himself acknowledged, according to Axios, as basically just an attempt to buy time for Israel's inevitable uh, seizure of, of Gaza. Uh, he actually, according to one U.S. and two Israeli officials per Axios said, quote, we don't want to stop you, but help us help you get more time. So that's that's really the humanitarian pause. It's a tactical pause. That's the way he's been selling this. This is basically just a way to ensure that your military objectives are more likely to succeed long term. It's right? similar to, to French President Hollande and, and, and German Chancellor Angela Merkel both admitting that the peace process over Ukraine was not about negotiating a peace, but biding time for Ukraine to build more armaments and prepare for an actual military confrontation. And of course, the peace process, the phony peace process in Palestine since Oslo and well before was all about biding time for Israel to not only prepare its, its battle plans to, as we see now, cleanse Gaza, but also continue to grab land in the West Bank and wherever else 
they saw fit in the meantime. So Shadi, I know it's getting late where you are in Turkey, but just to close wrap up here, do you, I mean, are you surprised that we're now speaking on November 7th, a month since the initial Hamas operation in Israel and that this war is still going on at the level we're seeing? Are you not surprised? And what, I guess you said already how you see this, this, this ending, but when is it enough? Okay. On October 7th, early morning, my wife uh, woke me up and she said, Chadi, there are some clashes going on on the borders of Gaza. And I told her, oh, you know, it is a normal. I guess that it is going to last for a couple of hours or maybe, I don't know, if Israel is uh, launching a new war. And then I slept again. Then one hour later, she came and woke me up and he told me, Shadi, it is not them. It's Hamas. They attacked on the Israeli borders. And I was told her, what? Then I started... I you know, I just woke up and I went to the TV to see what's going on. And then I started seeing the videos which were there. So it was never in my dreams that this kind of thing is going to happen. But to wrap this up, I have to tell you that Israel is committing all these crimes only for, and this is my opinion, it is just a revenge. Number one, a pure revenge a brutal revenge, some revenge which was happening uh, like in the early centuries when they were fighting for just we want our kingdom to become more bigger. That's why it was Romans, Greek, uh, all these big, uh, the, the Persians, all these big kingdoms, and this is what's happening. Number two, Israel reputation as an army have been totally destroyed in the Middle East. And they were like building something big, which all collapsed in a second, in a blink. By who? By Hamas. It wasn't destroyed by Iran or by Hezbollah. or It was destroyed by the smallest group, which can they ever think that they were the one who's going to destroy them so i believe that all what's happening israel is just trying to send message to everyone that hey guys what happened on 7th of october is not the routine it is just a one day which wasn't our day it is like when you go and play uh, because i'm watching football a lot uh, what you call it in the states uh soccer, soccer. <laughs> so yeah soccer okay so that uh, when you go and play a match and you come back defeated 7-0. So you say it wasn't our day. And this is what Israel is trying to tell to everyone that it wasn't our day the 7th of October. So uh, this is us. This is our bombs. This is our way, how brutal we are. If you uh, And even today, they said that we are able to defend Israel against any state in the Middle East. This is a clear message to everyone in the Middle East, uh, Iran, uh, all the neighboring countries. Uh, even if you are not a neighboring country and you uh, you don't like Israel or you are against Israel, this message is for everyone that if you ever think that you are able to fight against us, 
this is going to happen. And you look at their statements when he said that I'm going to bring Gaza to the early centuries. This is what he said, Yoav Gallant. They again said that to Lebanon. This is a complete <laughs> crimes against humanity to warn people that we are going to bomb the civilians and this we are going to kill your people. It is not only the army. We are going to cleanse you completely. And no one is even denying this or saying that this is something not right. Again today, the Rishi Sunak is saying that Israel has the def uh, has the right to defend itself and that there shouldn't be a ceasefire. Who are you to come in and step in and speak about that? You are just a sponsor. All of them. Biden, Sunak, uh, Scholz from Germany, uh, uh, David Cameron from, uh, uh, sorry, uh, the French uh, president. Macron. Macron, yeah. I'm sorry, I said Cameron. Macron. And all these people are just the sponsors of this war against humanity. And I believe that they should never, ever again talk about human rights. They should never, ever again talk about anything. If Russians wake up tomorrow morning and fire a nuclear bomb on Ukraine, they shouldn't talk and say that they did something against because already Israel has bombed what is equal to three nuclear bombs. We are talking about, uh, can you imagine how many tons of bombs have been bombed with uh, uh, on Gaza? And they are still, we have only one question. Tell us how many people should be killed and can be enough so that we can prepare ourselves. How much? How many? 20,000, 30,000, 50,000? Just give me a number. We, are, we reached to this point now that we just want to know what is the final number we are going to reach because the number is increasing. We wake up in the morning, it is 10,000. We sleep in the evening, it is 11,000. <laughs> it is going like that. <laughs> People now are only worried about that who is left from the family we are arabs we have big families so how many left out of your family every day morning we wake up and we try to contact each other to say hey guys are you okay are you still alive and they say yes till now and this is the same answer everyone is giving till now which means that Maybe tomorrow not. It seems yeah. that nothing will be enough until Israel can clear the land. This is what it's always been about. This is a continuation of the Nakba, it seems clear to me. And really, never again should anyone speak about never again, because if we all wondered what a Holocaust or a genocide would look like playing out in real time in the modern world, as opposed to just talking about it in the history books, while we've been told repeatedly that Rwanda or or Syria, all of these other conflicts when the West wanted to get involved and wanted to ply that those were never again. And that was the Holocaust. And it was now nothing has compared nothing. Even the Russian 
Operation Ukraine does not compare to what we see in Gaza right now. And that's why it's so true what you said. You said you didn't say this was a war on Gaza. You said this was a war on humanity. And I think that is that is true to any neutral observer who's watching this. You cannot watch what is happening as a human being and and conscious uh, accept it as reality, accept it as something that is going on, especially as an American with our taxpayer support. So that is why we're here to try and tell Americans what it is that that we're supporting. And, you know, if Israel wants to drop the nuclear bomb tomorrow, which is what I think everybody is afraid of, whether you're Iran, Russia, China, anyone is afraid of getting involved because everybody knows, even the Americans, I think, know Israel more than anyone. They talked about Trump or Putin being crazy with nuclear codes. Well, then you should meet the people in Tel Aviv because they've got it. And they, I think, more than anyone are the ones that are going to use it if they feel threatened. And I I, I, I don't think that... Can that you imagine this guy could be could become in his party the prime minister at any point? Can you imagine that? I mean, they're so stupid. They, they propose dropping a nuclear bomb on Gaza as if the nuclear fallout won't affect... Israel. I mean, well, that doesn't matter. They don't care about their own civilians. They actually no, no, don't no. Care about Maybe they are talking about the smaller one, the tactical oh, yeah, one. Tactical, it's a tactical name. Yeah. Well, yeah, as you said, Shadi, that is also including Israeli hostages or prisoners of war, whatever, in Gaza. So we know the Israelis have no regard for human life, even if it is their own civilians. The people at the top are only concerned with some psychotic. Anya. Anya, why they are hiding the witnesses and the statements which were given by some of the Israelis who witnessed what happened there. And they were saying that those who got killed by the Israeli army are more than those who got killed by Hamas on 7th of October because yep. they were shelling the houses randomly, killing everyone. And if they are talking about killing children, I am sure that those children got killed by the Israeli shells. I am sure yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah, there are Israeli citizens openly saying that, witnesses, as you say. Well, we yeah we we published my investigation, and it really looks like Israel just resorted to its core military doctrine of disproportionate force, indiscriminate use of heavy weapons on its own population. Some of them are found in, you know grouped together with their hands tied, but they were all burned and charred in homes that were blown up. So they'd been taken captive and Israel shelled the homes with the gunmen, their captors inside to kill everyone. And they're, they're being pulled out from the rubble. How can Hamas gunmen with small Kalashnikovs and grenades cause so much structural destruction to an entire community? Just doesn't seem possible. Uh, Nasrallah even referred to that in his speech. Roger Waters is now getting attacked left and right in Israeli media because he mentioned this in an interview with Glenn Greenwald. Everyone's talking about it now, except for the Western media. They don't want to. This is the and this is one of the biggest stories of the war. Even figures like Jake Tapper, who cl claimed to care so much about Israelis and Israeli civilians, well, then you should want accountability for who actually killed them. Anyway, Shadi, we'll, we know it's late there. Uh, <clears throat> Thank you so much for thank for the you analysis, very much crucial thank analysis. Um, and I look forward to our reunion. Thank you, Max. In person. Uh, me too. Me too. Just just one one thing because I'm really so angry yeah, from yeah, the yeah. British Prime Minister. 
in the history, British uh, or the UK or the British mandate is the one who is responsible for all this mess. Yeah. And instead of trying to correct and fix their all the mess they left behind, they are still going ahead. And believe me, I thought that Boris Johnson is an idiot, but I didn't know that there are more idiots than Boris Johnson. <laughs> Bojo was, believe me, no, no, seriously, Bojo, I'm sure that he would have been much better than uh, this guy, Rishi Sunak. Uh, well, he, I don't know. Uh, he's just a brown. No, I, 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 I'm. Uh, no, no, something else. I, I, Rishi Sunak is coming from, uh, and uh, he, he is uh, basically Indian. Uh, he is an Indian migrant. So didn't he ever look into the history of his homeland uh, and what the British mandate also did there? No. So he should stand with the right. He shouldn't stand with, he should be with those who are harmed by the occupation. He shouldn't be with those who are the, uh, uh, running the colonialism. But he is, you I don't know, I can't believe it. Facts. Unfortunately, um, as Nikki Haley and- Yeah, I was going to say Nikki Haley. <laughs> many, and Vivek Ramaswamy, even, as many yeah. even show, they- Even the United States uh, uh, representative in United, uh, in United Nations, yeah, uh, you know what? I would like just to to just sit with her for two minutes and ask her, "Have you forgot what happened with all your people, the Afro Americans, through all the years, and now you are defending cleansing of people?" Just uh, I want to ask her that question, and that's it. I don't. I don't. I just would like to hear from her. Jadi, one day we'll tell you what the K hive is. Some people just don't have skills, it seems like they are, they have no problem whatsoever selling out their integrity, their humanity, everything that they know is right and wrong in order to uh, get a high position or some money. So, I mean, that's what, that's how I uh, interpret these people. Shadi, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. As I said, thank I love the union and I, I really hope the thank best. Thank you, Max. We're gonna have you back, Shadi. You. Uh, our audience loves you, and your your analysis is, is totally on point. So we're gonna have you back, and uh, you know, I know there's been so much thank you hardship, but just uh, as Bobby Sands said in the official slogan of the Irish Republican movement, uh, your t our time will come, and I believe the time of the people of Palestine will come. Humanity. I hope so. Uh, it, it, it is it is humanity exactly as Anya said it is you know what if you look into this gathering I'm a Muslim and it has a Jew and it has a Christian and we all can talk together in on the same grounds with the same level of understanding and with the same uh, like I don't want to say love but it is it is like uh, we we love each other as humans, right? Yeah. And this is what everyone should look into it. It is not about religion. They, you can join more people with us, someone from uh, a Hindu or uh, a Buddhist or whatever. It is about humanity. And yeah. thank you very much for having me. I'm looking forward to see you guys again and bring white with you. Thank you. <laughs> 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 All right, Charlie. Peace. Take care.
Yeah, I mean, on Linda Thomas Greenfield or what Shadi was saying about you know mutual understanding, there's that old phrase, skin folk ain't kin folk. And that's how oh, I feel kin about folk kin folk. that's how I feel about a lot of Jews these days. I mean, there are a lot of good Jews and there are bad Jews. Jews aren't all the same. Um, and a lot of Jewish Zionists think that um, people are mad at them and are acting antagonistic towards them because they're Jewish. And the reason is not that. The reason is that they're acting like Nazis. <laughs> That's why they don't like you. Um, just stop yeah, acting like a Nazi me, and, you know, people will be right. nicer to you. We have a responsibility to, we if we're chosen, we're chosen to be good. So. Well, everyone you know, is good. Everyone be a role is, model. Everyone is good and everyone is bad. Everyone has that in them. It's not that one group is chosen to be good and one's other. It's just people can choose to be on the side of good or the Actually, side of evil. This is a battle between lightness and darkness. And yeah. the light yes. ones are the Israelis and the dark ones are the Palestinians. It's pretty obvious. It's like this old school like race science from the 1850s just got dragged back up. Just before we move on, I wanted to wait. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I wanted to I wanted to put one tweet on screen though and get your reaction on you before we move on. It's very important to me. Um, relating to this issue if it ever loads. Yes. So here's Sahar Tartak. I, I, I kind of want to like read it in her, what I know it? her voice is, <laughs> but maybe Anya, you can read it. Today, my friends and I sat outside of an anti-Israel event at Yale. We weren't let in, listening, some quotes. Israel cannot remain the state of the Jewish people. Hamas is a resistance group. Israel is trying to inflict as much harm, damage, and death as possible. So then you you got to say true. Israel. They always say Israel like Israel. Israel. <laughs> so, I mean, this is what my initial reaction is. What a bunch of Karens, but. They're like hiding, like listening, like jamming their ear under the door. Like, like they're saying Israel is like bad. Israel. No, they literally say, look, Israel is trying to inflict as much harm, damage, and death as possible. That's, that's literally true. what they say that's, they're doing. Yeah, they're cool. open about it. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't even be laughing. <laughs> I don't um, think well, I can yeah. an honest reaction to that. So can you call I mean, can we call them or should we call it like a new term for them? I think we should call them Rebecca's Becky's. Or, or Becky's, Becky's for sure. Rachel's a little bit too or I'm sorry. Karen's a little bit too it's too goyish. Goy. Yeah, Becky. Kidding. Becky is the Becky is the uh, Zionist Karen. So, you heard it here first at the Gray Zone uh, from Anya Parampil. <laughs> We're coming up with new ethnic slurs live on the spot. <laughs> it's not an ethnic slur because you know no. I I mean I no offense to my anti-Zionist Jewish comrades named Rebecca. This right. is just for a people of a particular ideological proclivity that happens right. to be you mean, it's, it's you for mean Zionists. the the demographic that megan kelly is primarily concerned about right now jewish students at the university of pennsylvania yeah you had a like pretty explosive response to her let me see if i can pull that up um you know basically well megan kelly was saying there's so much anti-semitism in her timeline right now <laughs> megan kelly being the former fox anchor i don't know really what happened to her um uh she had she was part of the 
the anti-Trump resistance that got weeded out at Fox because she was stupid. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and Trump pretty much just like stomped her out. So. Damn, you have so many responses to her destroying her that I'm just going to go to the first one. I mean, there's well, I so mean, many. I, it's like, I liked, I've liked, enjoyed some of Megan, <clears throat> Megan Kelly's commentary since she went independent. I have some admiration and respect for her as like a woman in media. I think she's beautiful, but dang, she is really, I mean, also it's just weird. All these like white Protestant Christian people that are like super anti-woke, super like they pose as renegades. And then when it comes to the most privileged students in the United States, like elite Jewish students at elite universities, they they are the number one victim. Like they get mad at black people, even, you know, yeah, black people of privilege or whatever for using woke racialized language to talk about their experience or to say that they are affected by slavery somehow they are offended by that but they're not offended again when like the most privileged group of people imaginable says that they are somehow victims of an imaginary war when there are literally images it's of the second holocaust it's didn't you know it's a new holocaust it's the single deadliest days for jews since the holocaust uh, you know and and like uh, that's you know yeah. not ancient history well, slavery 300 years ago ancient history the holocaust you know no that's critical race theory if you talk right. about slavery if you talk about anything relating to native americans and what happened to them is critical race theory but i don't uh, know if you saw the link that i sent you guys earlier but there was actually an article in inside higher education about like the threats against jewish students at upenn and they actually, this is a quote, a direct quote, Jewish students accounted for about a third of enrollment several decades ago and now make up just roughly 16% of the 10,400 undergraduates. At so still overrepresented by three times. Do you think, do you think <laughs> you're going to be okay, Max? Yeah, I, well, I went to, I went to Penn. It was Are you like, worried about them? That yeah. they went from a third to this? <laughs> you know why they went, you know why the numbers of Jewish students, first of all, UPenn was known in the Ivy Leagues as Jew Penn. And that was kind of like a, a credit to the University of Pennsylvania system because the other Ivy League schools had quotas for how many Jewish students they would let in because we were outperforming all the WASPs in all the testing and so on. And they didn't want to be overrun by Jewish students back in the 50s and 60s. They were kind of anti-Semitic, but Penn allowed them in. So it was a traditionally disproportionately Jewish school. Now the numbers are going down because the South Asian and Asian student numbers are rising so much because they're doing so well in this country and performing so well on testing. Uh, that's the reason. It's not like uh, there's some kind of like second Holocaust or like or pogroms are like scaring Jews away from Locust Walk and UPenn. In 2023, in the, in the age of affirmative action and like a lot of mixed people, you know, maybe some Jews married South Asians and then they identify as South Asian on their application. Like who knows what people are like, they're black and Jewish. And then they say that they're, you know what I mean? Like that's basically what affirmative action has encouraged is for people to, if you're from a privileged group, lie about it. But anyway, I just thought it was funny that, uh, yeah, oh no, they went from 30% to 16%. Like the, the, the Jewish students at UPenn are under attack. Well, Jews and South Asians make good couples people of South Asian backgrounds, they say, um, were, you know, 
overperforming and we're not quite white, but you know, anyway, it's, it's absurd. What's happening. What's happening right now is October 7th and this, uh, hysteria about anti-Semitism in the U S is the only thing that cheerleaders for Israel have to deflect from the Holocaust in the Gaza Strip. And so they're constantly recycling images of Israelis who were killed on October 7th and blending it in with Megyn Kelly's timeline where people are complaining about anti-Semitism and they won't say what anti-Semitism is. It's just people basically getting mad about Israel. Like they'll have a picture of an Israeli flag next to a garbage can. Well, you know, they didn't make they didn't take the symbol of the Jewish faith and put it on a flag that now represents an apartheid state. Israel did. So obviously they didn't make a prime minister give a speech with that flag and the Star of David and talk about the Bible and how they need to murder everybody that is like an opponent of the Jewish people in that land. Like the people who are pointing out that he did that didn't do that. He did that. Yeah. Yeah. They call themselves the Jewish state and then carry out a Holocaust like if you are mad about anti-Semitism, maybe you should be looking at the people who are wearing your flag and committing genocide. Yeah. Just a thought. Well, there's several directions we could go right now. Um, you know, there's... Well, first, we let's didn't cover, let me just... The State Department Vax. We delayed sorry? the stream today. We wanted to go at 1 p.m., yeah. but we delayed so you could go to the, the briefing and you had a very successful exchange. Yeah, I mean, we. I think we covered it. I want to cover the protest uh, that happened. Good job. Well, thank you, thank you. I mean, uh, Sam Husseini did a great job too. Um, I would encourage everyone to visit his uh, Twitter account and see his exchange with the State Department. Um, and you know, I mean, just quickly about my exchange. Uh, it was interesting how the spokesman had a kind of prepared response for a question about genocide. Uh, it seems like they are being briefed on how to parry allegations of genocide now. And it, it's really up to some country to bring up the genocide convention um, at the UN to refer it to the ICC. And for some reason, the Palestinian Authority ain't doing it. There was some assassination attempt on Mahmoud Abbas today. I haven't been able to follow it closely enough. Evo Morales, the former president of Bolivia, just accused Israel of genocide. So some government like Bolivia should do this. Um, and I think this is this is where the genocide allegation needs to go because this is real. We've discredited fake allegations of genocide that are used by the U.S. to justify sanctions. This is real. So that's what uh, you know. I set out to do was to put that forward and see if they even could say what metric they were using to analyze where genocide is being committed. They couldn't, but everyone's under pressure right now. We have Cory Booker getting interrupted. We had the largest protest, a Palestine solidarity protest in history in Washington, D.C. And people like Jake Tapper, who remains a cheerleader for the war, are on the defensive right now. So I don't, Anya, which direction do you want to go in with any of these uh, segments? Is Anya there? Anya has left the building. Wyatt, Anya, hello. I can't hear anyone. Anya's muted. Anya, can you unmute yourself? Yeah, if we could, I, I think we should start with the Tamimis. Actually, okay. All right. Because 
if we hadn't had shoddy probably to talk about Gaza, this would have been how I wanted to start the whole program, which is with the fact that Israel has taken the opportunity of this war against Hamas, as they define it, to escalate in the West Bank, which is obviously also an, a, an extension of the plan for greater Israel and taking land. And, and the premier targets of that escalation so far in the West Bank, one of them has been the Tamimi family, a family that we know well, especially you, Max, know much better than I. Uh, but the Tamimi family, led by the patriarch, Bassam Tamimi. Um, he would resent being called are, a patriarch, but yeah. <laughs> he's the father, father figure, the figurehead. He, th this is a very prominent activist family. Max can speak more about them. And in Nabi Salah, which is on the front line of the illegal settler and, and, and Jewish settlement project in, in Israel's expansionist uh, plan of the West Bank. And so they're constantly confronting the Israeli occupation on the, uh, like right outside of their homes. This is, Max is playing a documentary actually that we put together in 2018 when I was a correspondent for RT. We, we went to the West Bank when Ahed Tamimi, who is now 22 years old at the time, she was 17, uh, became a household name really around the world for slapping an Israeli soldier that had earlier in the day fired a rubber bullet at her 15-year-old cousin, Mohammed Tamimi, hit him in the head. He was rushed to the hospital with a bleeding skull and everything. They did not expect him to come back. And later that day, the unit that had that shot him came to the Tamimi home and Ahed went out there and there's video of her slapping this Israeli soldier in the face. This was in December of 2017. And in retaliation, the Israeli occupation forces raided her home, arrested her then. And she was detained at the time that we visited in February 2018. So we interviewed her family members, including Bassem. We interviewed her aunt, her mother, her cousin, including the one that miraculous, miraculously survived being shot in the head, Muhammad. And, and Ahed especially, but the Tamimi family, but Ahed especially through that, that episode and, and previous uh, encounter she had and confrontation she had with the Israeli occupation forces really became a symbol of the resistance in the West Bank, which is a place that unfortunately is not uh, uh, heavily associated with resistance to the Israeli occupation at this point when it comes to the political leadership. So these are the unofficial leaders really of the West Bank, the Tamimi family. They are the symbolic leaders. They are the people that give Palestinians hope, not only in, in the West Bank, but Gaza and around the world. And so last week, the Israeli occupation forces raided the home and arrested Bassem. He's been disappeared for a week now. His whereabouts are unknown. And then not last night, but the night before, they raided the family home and arrested Ahed again, who is 22 years old. They are apparently charging her with inciting terrorism but this story is so important. It's actually, I think, in some ways been overlooked just because of the everything that's going on in, in Gaza. But this is important to to 
recognize what's happening now in the West Bank because it shows that this Israeli war is not about Hamas. Yeah. It's not about Hamas at all. These people have nothing to do with Hamas. And yet they seize the opportunity to crack down on this family. Yeah, just to uh, put Nabi Saleh, the village that the Tamimis are, are uh, We have a clip in. actually from the documentary explaining it if you want. I put the time code in. It That, that time code shows our explanation of Nabi Saleh that we put together in 2018 with visuals and everything. Uh, okay, uh, well, uh, we'll explain it then. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just... Yeah, we'll just... Uh, We'll you just know, play it from help me. Uh, Max was my producer on these documentaries, so maybe instead of so I just to like I, I've been going to this village for years. Much of the footage in this documentary I shot, I stayed in the village overnight when they were expecting a raid, uh, because one wanted person there had gotten away from the Israeli military by running across a roof and running through a field as they shot at him. Um, I'd seen children basically be kidnapped in their beds from this village. And just really quickly, what this village had done, along with other villages that had been located along the path of the apartheid wall, which was built starting in 2005 or seven, around the time of the Gaza disengagement, was that they were doing an unarmed struggle where they were going out and doing civil disobedience against the Israeli military, against the settlers who were terrorizing them. And they were interrupting the stereotype of Palestinians as all a bunch of Hamas fighters. So what you see right now is they too are being kidnapped, taken captive, brutalized, even though they never picked up the gun and fought with stones and whatever they had as their land was being stolen. So here's a scene from our documentary that will put this in context, I hope. Um, Messages like this have never been seen before in the village of Nabi Saleh, although it's a sentiment often expressed in mainstream Israeli discourse. Before the Hebrew was obscured by local villagers, this note read, the Tamimi family should be expelled. No one knows whether it was written by a soldier or a settler, but one thing's for sure. It's a sign the state-directed campaign against this family, the Tamimi family, is hitting very close to home. Before 1967, Nabi Saleh was a little farming village under the control of the Jordanian government. When Israel seized control of the West Bank that year and began its military occupation, everything changed. Within 10 years, a settlement was established on the land that used to belong to Nabi Saleh's villagers, and the village came under rising pressure from the Israeli army. In 1992, Bassam was arrested by Israel and falsely accused of killing one of those settlers. He was tortured for days and dropped from a ceiling, winding him up in a coma. Scores of residents from the village have been killed over the years by the Israeli army. They include Mustafa Tamimi, who was shot in the face by a soldier from inside an army jeep. And many more have been arrested, like Noor Tamimi, who was processed through Israel's child court at the same time as Ahed. To start with, it was definitely a tough experience because I, it was the first time I was detained, so that was a tough experience to me, and I did not know where I was going, and I mean, I did not know what was going on. I was aware of the situation, but definitely one would be tense, given that the Israelis do not have one certain rule, and they do different things to everyone. 
They don't follow one clear rule, so I was a bit tense because I did not understand the whole situation well. At the beginning, we did not know that all this uproar would happen. However, the main reason was the Hebrew media because they posted our photos and reported that we are terrorists. It was like because we were not detained on the spot, they started to incite against us very significantly. The Hebrew media, in my opinion, was the instigator behind our detention by the army. The fact that they did not detain us on the spot is an evidence that we did not pose any threat to the soldiers. They could have detained us on the spot, but they didn't. So it was definitely the incitement that led to our detention. This footage, shot by the Israeli human rights group Betselem, shows one of the regular raids Israeli soldiers have launched in Nabisala. Here, the soldiers rouse children from their beds, line them up against a wall, and process them for future detentions and interrogation. This is the reality that Ahed was raised in. That's, so that's a young Ahed Tamimi that I filmed one of, and during one of my first trips to this village. She used to know in her body what's the meaning of the occupation and from her soul, from her emotion. She, a lot of time, they stopped her in the checkpoint. This means that she deeply know what's the meaning of the occupation and she believed also that she is a freedom fighter. The Israeli army has sought to repress yeah. so, with an array. I shot that footage too. <laughs> Um, that was a long clip, I know, but I feel I felt like it was worth playing because it, it shows a little bit of what the reality of the West Bank has been for decades for all of for all of Ahed's life, but also because I do think it is essential that we speak about what is happening to the Tamimi family right now. I'm actually concerned for their well-being. I, I imagine that the Israelis are not treating especially Bassam very well right now. Yeah, I mean he and her are a symbol of everything Israel doesn't want the world to see and their spokespeople. I've been to Oslo with, with Basim uh, to speak before a conference of the Norwegian Socialist Party, uh, which, which is like a mainstream social democratic party. So he has an international voice. And uh, the, the prisons in the West Bank right now are overflowing. They're arresting everybody. And when I say arrest, they're kidnapping them. They're kidnapping children, they're kidnapping teenagers, and nobody's being charged or brought before a court. They're just wrapping everybody up because of October 7th, and uh, the prisons are bursting at the seams. So even if you buy the line that every single Palestinian civilian that has died in the West Bank as a result of Israeli bombing, that their, their lives were somehow expendable in Israel's quest to defend itself against Hamas, or even if you don't believe that those 10,000 people or more even existed, what is Israel doing in the West Bank right now? Because these people have nothing to do with Hamas. Why has Israel escalated? And by the way, they've escalated. They've almost been focusing more on the West Bank than they have Gaza in recent years because they can just slowly and quietly continue this ethnic cleansing campaign. I mean, they've already done so much, gotten away with so much in the West Bank, that that was really, I think, the priority of, of the extremists in, in Israel, because yeah. it's easier to take that than have some war in Gaza. Now, to see what they've done seizing this opportunity in Gaza, it's just unimaginable. I mean, I think this was their greatest fantasy, and they never thought it would come true, and it's it's sick. 
Yeah, I mean, the Northern West Bank's on fire right now. Um, I'll show you some footage uh, outside Nablus. This is Israeli an Israeli settler attack on uh, Der Sharaf, which is west of Nablus. I mean, they just torched the entire town. A lot of the smaller towns are actually being depopulated and people are being forced to move into larger population centers because they're basically defenseless. They're unarmed and the army has let the settlers off. Um, so... I mean, we, I talked to our friend Anya Hakim, who's in the Bethlehem area. He said he hasn't left Bethlehem all Just October. to jump in, Max, I think Wyatt might be having audio issues and he's got to run. All right, Wyatt. Well, thanks for joining us. Max and I will uh, trash, <laughs> we'll trash the <laughs> Happy <media>. birthday. <laughs> Is it his No, it's not. It's not his birthday. Can we get some more balloons? I don't know what happened to Wyatt. All right. All right. Thanks. Anyway, we I got five minutes here anyway before a hard stop. But uh, but yeah, our friend Hakeem we spoke to, who we worked with before, he's stuck in Bethlehem. No one's leaving their cities or population centers in the West Bank because of settler terror. The roads are, are dangerous. And uh, Jeremy Lafredo, who has hoping would be on with us this time, um, he's actually there. So we're going to be getting some video coverage from him and some. we'll hopefully interview him about what he's seeing on the ground. He's just, he was just at the um, major rally in Jerusalem. I believe it's at Netanyahu's residence and it's people demonstrating. It's at the Knesset. You're right. There's a major rally, like a thousand people demonstrating for a ceasefire and for the release of the captives a negotiated release. So the pressure continues to build even internally in Israel. If I were an Israeli, that would be my demand unless I were a genocidal psycho. Yeah, I was just checking out the um, Twitter account of Oren Ziv, who you might remember. We yep. interviewed him while we were over there and I've been out in the field with him many times. He's, you know, one of the few, he's a, he's a prof very professional level journalist with active stills, something, a group everyone should follow. And uh, that that's critical of, of Zionism and the kind of Israeli settler colonial project. Um, and he interviewed someone at this rally who lost their parents in the October 7th attacks, who's calling for a ceasefire. Um, so that's pretty significant. And, and no one believes that Netanyahu wants to get the captives back. No, no. Now, I mean, that wasn't even what he was discussing today, except to say that he wouldn't put on fuel until the captives are all back. But he's, he was talking about just clearing everybody south. Yeah. So what does that yeah. have to do with the, what does that have the, to do with the objective of bringing back the captives? Well, a lot of people don't believe the captives will come back within Jewish Israeli society and don't really. If I were a captive, I would not believe that Israel, I would not believe well, my government were trying to get me back. <laughs> we've heard from the, some of the captives. I think it was a woman from the, kibbutz of near oz who said netanyahu what are you doing you don't have you're there you're killing us with your own airstrikes do you want to kill us all i mean unfortunately with the way that the media and the the pro-zionist elements work is people won't even believe someone like that saying they'll say that hamas put her up to it just like they'll say that the witnesses claiming that israel may have killed people on october 7th or killed more people than hamas did they also won't believe those uh, individuals. So there's no, the only space for our media, it seems, uh, or for people that push the narrative 
that Israel is somehow working to get the hostages back by bombing everybody and that every civilian should be wasted because Israel has a right to defend itself. I mean, that's the only the only narrative that that gets airtime. Definitely. I think uh, I was on with uh, Chris Hedges, our friend Chris at The Real News uh, yesterday. And, you know, we closed our conversation. I was talking about, you know, October 7th and what really happened. So look for that when it comes out. But Chris said, you know, in two years, the New York Times is going to do an investigation just like the one you did, and they'll win like a Pulitzer Prize. For, for now, no. Yeah, and then Gaza will be cleansed. Well, don't count out. Never count out the people of Palestine. There's a lot of. Oh, news. I know. But there's I, a lot of news uh, just in closing you know you hear all this news oh gaza city's encircled israel's going to cut gaza in half don't i don't think they have a plan i wouldn't and i wouldn't count out palestinians uh or their resistance factions um and i have no idea what's going to happen next but this is going to be a long war it's a protracted war militarily and politically so we will be back uh, we will be back hopefully again this week. Uh, we once again, thank Shadi Abdul Rahman from Istanbul, Gaza based journalist for joining us and Wyatt Reed, Appalachia based journalist for joining us. Uh, he's a roving, 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 uh, rap scallion and, uh, Anya, great job. Uh, thank no, you. Every great job at the state department. Thank you everyone, uh, for being a part of this like this stream as always youtube is demonetizing everything we do anything that ai picks up that says israel they will demonetize so like the stream um subscribe to our youtube channel support any way you can um because we're keeping the pressure on we're continuing to break break the media blockade as we always have um so i'm out of here you want to sign off peace. on you Nope. peace everyone don't sell, don't sell your soul. <laughs>